ranked one of America's top research universities, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee plays a vital role in shaping the future of Milwaukee and Wisconsin. UWM's diversity, academic excellence, and world-class research contribute to the region's economic development and quality of life. Meet the people behind the creativity and discoveries on UWM Today. Here's the host, Tom Lujak, Vice Chancellor of University Relations. When the COVID-19 pandemic began and schools around the world started moving classes online, it was an incredibly disruptive experience. Students at every age level found themselves having to adapt to a new way of learning. And the same was true for teachers, some of whom had never taught online before. Now, nearly a year later, online instruction remains the norm for many of us. So how are we doing? Are students succeeding in the new learning environment? Will online classes be taught as frequently when the pandemic ends? On this edition of UWM Today, we're going to try to answer those questions as we talk to a national leader in online education. Simone Konsesun is a professor and chair at UWM School of Education's Department of Administrative Leadership. She spent the past three decades researching how technology can transform the classroom experience. Welcome, Simone. Good to have you on today's program. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me here. Yes, you know, um, I know you've been a huge proponent of online education, but even you couldn't have envisioned the whole world shifting to online classes as quickly as we did this last spring. So, so how are we doing? Well, I, I agree with you. I did not expect this huge change and everybody had to change their ways of teaching and organizing their courses. I think it's been a, a huge change in the way we prepare classes, either the ones that were face-to-face -face that had to go online, or even for people who were teaching totally online, creating more a sense of presence. So yeah, it has been a huge change for everybody. I do believe that online education is not for everybody. It's not for every course or every topic because some courses you, you it requires for you to um, do some demonstration, do some action. Not all online classes are able to do that. So I think a lot of people have to rethink how they they organize, design their courses that would create the same feeling that they had in a face-to-face -face environment. Well, who do you think has had the greatest challenges so far? Has it been the students who have had to try to adapt to online learning or, or the teachers who are driving the bus, if you will? It could be both. So if you have a, a, a teacher that has never um, taught online and has never develop any course with technology. Um, so I, I would say that would be difficult for that person. And somebody who does not have the skills to use the technology, it's a huge learning curve. For students who have never um, learned online, it can also be very traumatic. So it all depends, the experience, um, the knowledge and skills with the technology, and also an open mind. Because people who have never done and they started doing it, they had to rethink how to learn or rethink how to teach. So I think it depends. It could be both ways. Is there a type of student that has been more successful with online learning than others? Oh, yes. A self-directed learner. 
uh, a learner that has uh, is able to self-regulate their own learning. So a self-directed learner is able to set time to uh, learn, to study, to do the assignments. Um, we'll plan ahead of time. We'll create timelines. We'll do things ahead of time. So uh, I would say that uh, a self-directed learner will be much more successful in an online environment. Somebody who does not have the self-directed learning skills would have to learn that to be more successful online. Now, because of uh, the the health considerations, um, the students who were shifted into online formats not only are those self-directed students, um, students who who have had some experience in the classroom, but you know you've got kindergartners who are uh, online for the first time. I've got a six-year-old granddaughter down in Illinois, and uh, at eight thirty every morning, she's got the headset on and she's plugged into her uh, her Chromebook. Uh, for for lessons, the first time I, I my my daughter sent a picture of her doing this um, this this past uh, fall, and I looked at it and I said, "Man, she looks like a natural," you know, and she was like totally in the zone, you know, like don't bother me, I'm 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 really th- really there. Is is that uh, perhaps the product of a parent not freaking out because <laughs> they've never done this before, or or are some kids just naturally drawn to this more than others? Well, I, I would say that it's the support of the parent, for sure. And of course, some kids are more natural to use technology when they use technology. But I think with this pandemic, it required parents to provide support. They became more engaged and involved in their kids learning and you know some of them cannot handle it because it's difficult because they have to balance that between their kids and their work and their personal life so i think there is a lot of parental support that makes this learning environment for kids more successful I'm going to come back in just a moment and talk a little bit more about some of those challenges that people have on the home front, especially as it relates to technology. But I want to come back and and talk about the classes themselves. Um, It's not like uh, going ahead and uh, flipping a switch when you move a course that has not been taught online to an online uh, format, uh, because um, what might have worked in person doesn't necessarily work when you're looking through a screen. My question to you is, how have you coached faculty members here at UWM and and many of the other hundreds or thousands of teachers whose lives you've touched with the books that you've written and the seminars and webinars that you've done, how do you counsel them to go ahead and dip their toe into this pool of online learning and, uh, and make sure that they are geared up for success? So one of the strategies I use is design thinking using design thinking process to help people think about their challenges when they have to move a course from face-to-face to online will help them, first of all, empathize with their learners. They need to think about what are the challenges for their learners now that their courses are being offered online. Then they have to look at those design challenges and think about them in a different way. How am I going to solve that? Design thinking is a process that helps people to problem solve those challenges of course design. And of course, through that process, they will ideate, brainstorm ideas, prototype ideas, and then test them out. 
use design thinking as part of the process. The other strategy I have used is that in my recent book on designing the online learning experience, evidence-based principles and strategies, my co-author, Les Howells, and I provide a framework for thinking about the learner at the center of this whole process of designing learning experiences. Then we think about the dimensions of learning, the emotional dimension, the cognitive dimension, the behavioral dimension, and, and also how do you, do you move that in terms of designing the different design components of a course. So now we are not going into the classroom physically. We, are, um, we have to think about this elusive space, which is the online environment. And in our framework, we provide the, the components of the design of a course. So for example, you have to think about the structure and the interface of a course, which would be the learning management system. The learning interactions is the instructor giving a lecture or you are providing lectures from other people. The learning activities, what are you going to use? The social interactions, so how are they going to communicate with each other and the assessment and feedback. So think about all these five design components and how you create them thinking about the dimensions of learning and how the learner will interact with all those components as a person. Because when you are online, you, you really have to think about how are they going to behave in that environment and accomplish the tasks for the course, uh, which is much more difficult. You have to think emotionally, you have to create that psychologically in your mind in order to feel present. Thanks to Zoom, Teams, Blackboard Collaborate, Ultra. Today, we can actually feel like we are in the classroom because we are interacting with each other at the same time, seeing each other. But it's not the same as being in the classroom, but it, at least it's very helpful. It has also created new ways of learning and interacting with other people within the classroom. Does it make a difference for the student, and I suppose for the for the faculty member, um, in terms of whether they're going to be successful in online learning, if uh, if the course is being taught live, real time, versus courses that are recorded and can go back and be viewed in the middle of the night, if if a student would like, uh, any any evidence that one format is better than the other? Well, it depends. It depends on the course. So, for example, if you want to create that environment that students are um, doing a team project that they have to discuss a topic, synchronous activities could be very, very helpful because they get to see each other, they interact on time. But this can also be done asynchronously where they will think through they will, there is a case example for a discussion. They will think through the case. They don't have to respond right away synchronously. So they will take a day or two, they will complete the readings and then go back and respond to that. So they, it's different. So I think both are good, but it depends on the, the activity for the class. So one of the things I do in my courses is that they will do team projects. So students, they actually prefer to use synchronous interactions to make decisions about the team project. And I've seen huge difference in the way they accomplish the team projects. So for example, they will schedule things ahead of time. They, are, they monitor their interactions better. 
when they were doing that in class, they would do on that day of class. So the activities that they were doing for the team project was on that day. Now they have to plan ahead, ahead and they have become more skilled. Those are great um, skills, 21st century skills, collaboration, organization, digital communication, presence. So I believe that the online environment has brought some new skills and people are becoming much better. As the example of your granddaughter, now they are so focused, they are so into it, they are engaged. And that's about creating presence. And in order to create presence, there must be a dynamic in interplay of the mind, the emotions, and the behavior. And you've seen that through your granddaughter. And that's what's happening online right now. Now, um, I've had the pleasure of teaching for many years here at UWM in journalism and advertising department. And one of the things I've treasured about the experience is to be able to look at the faces of the students as I'm talking and figure out if they're getting it, you know, is, and, or, and is it me or is it them, uh, you know, in terms of, of, of communicating the subject matter. Uh, when you're online and you've got either a, a, a screen filled with Zoom in faces, uh, or uh, if you're teaching asynchronous, you don't necessarily have that that ability to get immediate feedback. So, so how do teachers make sure that uh, that their best efforts are resulting in success as opposed to just a best effort? So that's when intentional design comes into play. You have to intentionally design a course so that you create those um, you know, opportunities to get to know your students. So for example, I'll give you one example of an activity. Students will complete the readings. Then they have to create a concept map. Oh my God, a concept map in, shows their knowledge, their understanding of the readings, the content. And then they will participate in the discussion. So in the discussion, they are gonna, and I will have the discussions that they have to provide personal examples and connect to the readings. And then they may have to do a summary or participate in a, in a different way. So I think it has to do with the activities that you create for the students and what they are going to be um, you know, assessed and that you ask them to provide personal examples or connect. Actually, I see more connections now they, because they will take the time to think through, to reflect. I use a lot of reflection in my class. So the reflection will tell me how they are doing, if they're really learning. And the questions I will ask will give me those answers that I see if there is a problem. Also do formative assessments to see how the course is going through during the semester, during the period of the course. So it gives me clues how they are doing and I have a better feeling. The other thing that I do is that one of the things we address in our book is that we, we include pedagogical wrappers. Pedagogical wrappers are descriptions of um, before an activity is introduced, when an activity is introduced to a student, I create that very conversational, explaining the situation. That could be done via text via audio or via video. So you explain in details what is going on. And then I use a lot of announcements during the course. So every week in the beginning of the week, I will send a, a, an announcement. The beginning of a module, I'll send an, a welcome announcement. The announcement could be 
via text, could be via audio, could be via video. So it creates that presence between the instructor and the student. The other thing I do, which um, I changed the name, I do virtual office hours and I call virtual office hours with a purpose. I use Zoom. I have one hour available every week. And every week I will say during this coming week, I'm going to focus on this part of the class, the content, I'll clarify, I'll explain, I'll give steps. Sometimes I'll record and share. Sometimes it's just that meeting that students come in and share their own um, experiences. The virtual office hours have become very popular in my courses. Oftentimes I have half of the, the course attending. They are optional because it's not part of the schedule of classes, but students come and they look forward to it because they get to see each other, they get to talk to, to me as an instructor. So I think there are lots of strategies that can be used to create that. You're listening to UWM Today here on WUWM. Good to have you with us this week. I'm Tom Lujak, and joining us in our remote studios is Simone Kunstesun. Simone is professor and chair of UWM School of Education's Department of Administrative Leadership. She's a national leader in online learning, has been working on this for decades, although she's way too young, I think, for me to say that. But <laughs> Simone and I have known each other for, for a number of years, and I've watched her just absolutely do amazing work here at UWM, and that work now reflected in a number of uh, of um, books that she's written and uh, has taken that that knowledge uh, nationally and I would say indeed internationally. Uh, Simone, you're from Brazil. Um, you speak uh, what uh, multiple languages: Portuguese, English, Spanish. Um, is it easier to teach online in one language versus another? Have you have you seen whether or not we in America are doing as well or maybe better than other countries or or doesn't it matter what your culture or what your language is when it comes to online learning? I believe it doesn't matter. I have not taught in my native language online, but I have given workshops. Uh, I actually gave a workshop about the, the topics in the book to a group of people in Brazil um, recently. And uh, it was very easy to do that. Um, people even asked me why I, what was going on that I was standing instead of sitting on a chair. And, <laughs> and they were noticing that I was much more um, active and dynamic, like I'm in a classroom. And they told me, I said, oh, that's a great idea. You know, so sometimes, it's all the same. It's how you communicate, how you you give this um, energy to people um, to exchange ideas. So it was very similar in English and, and Portuguese. So it didn't make any difference. Simone, you've given some great advice to the teachers who are in our listening audience. What about the parents? Um, what advice would you give them if they have children who currently are taking online classes and, and, and maybe struggling a little bit? You know, the students getting perhaps frustrated or, or the parents getting frustrated because uh, they're just not able to go ahead and get into that groove. What would you tell them they should start doing? So first of all, I would say learn about the technology. There are so many um, YouTube videos. I use them. Uh, YouTube videos, online tutorials. Um, you know, there are free uh, Coursera courses. There are a, a bunch of um, information available online to learn about the technology. 
test the technology with uh, other people um, and also get involved, become engaged with your um, kids uh, as they are doing the work, create a schedule. Um, I always give like a list of things to do. For example, create a space in, in the home dedicated to the online course for the kid. So the kid knows here is my classroom. At least my virtual classroom will happen here. Create a timeline of deadlines for the kids so you can monitor that. Use a calendar to schedule coursework for the, for the kid to do, and you can monitor that and balance with your own work schedule. And I, I will tell my students to stay ahead one week, at least one week, so you know what you're doing, because things happen. And if you don't do things ahead of time, something, an emergency might happen and you might fall behind. Don't want to fall behind in online work. Um, you know, make a weekly checklist. I do that every Sunday night. I create a checklist of what I have to do for my teaching, my administrative work, and my personal work too, or whatever I'm doing. And also allow days off. You know, give something rewarding to your kids saying, okay, you finished this, now go ahead and play. Go outside and play, or you can watch a, a program, or play, do a, you know, play on the computer. You know, participate in a game-based activity. So those are my um, strategies for keeping sane. And you know, because a parent is working on their own work, working with the kid, and then they have a personal life, you know, with other family members. Yeah, you you, you talk about. Um going ahead and giving students that break. We, we also hear warnings about too much screen time. Uh, you know, be careful that, that students aren't able to lock in. I saw a story recently of, of, of some parents, uh, I think it was a piece in the Times talking about uh, their, their young child, I think a nine-year-old, who's spending 40 hours a week um, playing video games when they're not in school. And, and they're freaking out because they're saying, wait a minute, what, you know, what did we create here? Do the, is that the result of going online with learning? Or is that just, are there other factors there that would move someone to um, be excessive in their, in their uh, time in front of a computer or in front of a TV screen? I call that obsession. So you and parents can have parental control on technology. So that's the time to do that. Because um, working, I mean, I can't. So sometimes I have to go to my office and print materials because my neck hurts. I'm sitting in front of the computer or standing because I have a, a, a desk that goes up and down. But I change. I move locations around my house. I will read by the fireplace. I will read next to my cat. You know, I will do different things to. So I'm not in the same position all the time because that affect, affects our health. I think it has to be the same thing for kids. You cannot let kids stay in front of a computer for too long because it creates other issues, physical issues, you know, mental, cognitive issues. So we need to have a balance, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, Governor Evers announced that 2021 is going to be the year of broadband access uh, in uh, in Wisconsin. And, um, and it was it was 
uh, prompted by the fact that there unfortunately are some areas in Wisconsin, as there are in other states, that don't have uh, the ability to get wired into a good signal. They don't have strong internet service in their area. Has, has that typically been a problem that you've seen in, in your years of developing technology for the classroom? The, the fact that that foundational infrastructure may not be available to everybody. Oh, definitely. It has been a huge issue, mainly in rural areas or even in urban areas where people don't have access. But I was very happy to see those changes in Wisconsin. Um, and I hope that we'll have more reach to people who cannot afford or they don't have the access to technology and be more engaging and active participants in today's world. You hear horror stories in, in some small towns of, of kids uh, going to a, a Hardee's restaurant parking lot because they could tap into the public Wi-Fi. That's not a recipe for success, is it? No, not at all. Mainly during the pandemic. The pandemic create, you know, I mean, they have not were even less advanced. Uh, they didn't, they were not privileged to have the same kind of access. I know some schools, some public schools would take out the materials to kids or the parents would pick them up uh, because they didn't have access to broadband or technology. So that was an alternative, but it would be really nice if everybody could have access and be at, on the same, um, at the same level. So I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we're going to uh, ask in, in this show whether or not uh, online uh, classes are going to continue in the same way that they are. Do you, do you, do you see us going uh, forward with a very robust online program in all of our schools, or do you think these, this last year was an aberration? I think we are gonna improve our teaching with technology because of the pandemic. Uh, I see that this is going to continue. Uh, I already heard that it's not gonna stop. I think people will become better instructors because now they're gonna to have to rethink about teaching and learning in a different way. So I do think that it has helped. Uh, in some ways it has helped people see things differently. But um, I think we'll have some kind of technology-enhanced classroom. Um, I think uh, teaching strategies will improve because now people are thinking differently how to reach out to students. So, yes, there are some good things that came out of this, even though I don't like the pandemic, but uh, it brought us closer. I mean, Zoom, I feel like I became closer to certain people because now I'm scheduling time to see them. My friends in other countries, now we schedule time to talk to each other. We might have stayed months and months without seeing each other. It almost created a different need in how to connect and it created a sense of presence, but in a different way. Yeah, a dimension you just can't get um, in an email, for example, right? Using yep. technology, but but you miss that that ability to socialize through uh, through the electrons that are creating these images. Yes, and um, one of the workshops I offered this summer with two colleagues to K twelve teachers. Oh my God, the teachers were extremely creative to 
create assignments, game-based assignments, creating a, a language book. You know, it was just amazing what I saw out of this, um, the learning and the use of technology for online instruction. Well, Simone, this has been a fascinating conversation. And uh, again, congratulations on, on the terrific work you've done uh, for a long time at UWM around online learning and technology in the classroom, but especially in this last year, because I know your, your phone and your Zoom account has been blowing up with people who are looking for your expertise. So we really appreciate you sharing some of that uh, great knowledge with us today. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure being part of this program. Take care. Simone Conceson, she's professor and chair of UWM's School of Education, Department of Administrative Leadership, and a national expert in online learning, our guest on this edition of UWM Today. That's all for this week's program. Thanks for joining us. Take care, everybody, and we'll see you next week. I'm Tom Lee Jack. You've been listening to UWM Today with host Tom Lujak, the weekly program where you get to meet the people behind one of America's top research universities, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Playing a vital role in shaping the future of Milwaukee and Wisconsin, UWM's diversity, academic excellence, and world-class research contributes to the region's economic development and quality of life. Learn more at uwm.edu.